Welcome to I Might Believe in Fairies. I am your host, Aaron Herber. This is a podcast about stories, myths, and the Catholic faith. Welcome to I Might Believe in Fairies. Uh, today we have as a guest uh, Thomas Salerno, and he's, we're going to talk about superheroes, uh, Marvel and DC, and uh, the indie comics scene. And I'm going to let Thomas introduce himself. Well, thanks for having me on, Aaron. It's a real pleasure to be here. Um, yeah, my name's Thomas Salerno. Um, I'm currently a freelance writer. Um, uh, writing mostly nonfiction right now, uh, having to do with the, I like to say the intersection of Christianity and nerd geek culture. <laughs> so I write about comic books, sci-fi, fantasy, all that great stuff, um, which is actually kind of different from uh, my academic background. Um, I graduated in uh, 2015 from Stony Brook University with a degree in anthropology, and my focus was in paleoanthropology, so the study of human and primate fossils and i uh worked for uh almost eight years uh both first as volunteer and then uh as a paid employee at the american museum of natural history in new york city uh where i worked as a, a fossil preparator and a collection assistant working on both dinosaur and human fossils because my other great passion is paleontology and dinosaurs and fossils and all that great stuff and in fact i do have plans to integrate some of uh, my educational background into my writing maybe Great. do a little more writing about uh, dinosaurs and, and science probably in, in 2022 as uh, as I make for pl my plans for next year but yeah I've, I've been a comic book fan from pretty much uh, pretty much since I was a kid I've been a fan of these characters I grew up on Batman the animated series mm -hmm. and X-Men <laughs> and Superman the animated series and in uh, high school, I actually started getting into the comics, um, kind of via the, uh, I don't know if you remember these, but the publisher DK used to put out these big encyclopedias of Marvel and DC characters. Oh, And yeah. I, I used to get them out of the library uh, near me, and I would read them from cover to cover. And so <laughs> I kind of you know, absorbed an encyclopedic knowledge of these characters, and then uh, we didn't have a comic book shop near me when I was growing up, but uh, when I was in high school, I was finally able to uh, to buy some comics in uh, trade paperback collections. And yeah, and then that, that that's when I started reading uh, these great characters. And I've just become fascinated with comics as as kind of a modern mythology almost, and kind of like delving a little bit into my anthropological background of like, Comics is kind of an expression of what I guess James Campbell would call the monomyth. Mm -hmm. You know, that we're just retelling these same kind of poor stories over and over again, just with a different cast of characters. And so I like to delve into that and to also the way it intersects with Christianity in my articles. It, it, it's been a lot of fun to do. Cool. Yeah, I remember um, I grew up on those same shows too. Um, so I, yeah, the love. The love of those characters was like, you know, I had that from a very young age, especially the Batman animated series. And um, we have all of them in the basement. You know, I bought them for my kids. They're a little too old. 
or my kids are a little too young still for because we tried watching Batman the animated series um, a few times, and I had to pick and choose the episodes because some yes. of them are pretty scary, you know. Very dark. <laughs> Very yeah. dark. Yeah. We ironically we watched we like the ones with the Joker, you know, with Mark Hamill as the Joker because he that's, he's hilarious and they're surprisingly not that dark compared to like you know um, the Scarecrow episodes or uh, Clayface, you know, where the guy's Clayface. face melts, you know. Oh, it's, yeah. Um, and so I'm trying to introduce these things to them, and I, but it's it's a little too early. So uh, my oldest is only four. <laughs> I'm like, with my wife, I'm like, oh, I, I think I started watching these when I was like eight or nine. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. I used to watch them when, when I, I, I got back from school. And I actually got to tell that to Kevin Conroy. I met him at New York Comic Con a oh, few cool. years ago. Yeah, and that which was is one of the highlights of my life, just getting to meet the voice of Batman. You know, yeah, this, that's cool. This character that I grew up on, and, and by the way, he's the most soft-spoken guy you'll ever meet. Yeah, he's nothing like his Batman persona, which <laughs> I thought was funny. Yeah, that's cool. So, um, yeah, what is it about these stories that uh, really resonate with people? Um, because you know, we have all the movies and like all the, the Marvel cinematic universe, the whole interconnected, there's like 25, 26 movies now. Um, we have the Netflix shows like daredevil. It's one of my favorite, one of my favorite modern shows. Um, and we could, if we could talk about daredevil too, um, cause there's a, a strong Catholic angle to that. But, um, what do you think is it about these, um, these characters and these shows and comics that really resonate with people and that really, um, why are they so popular? I think it must be something that's kind of deep in the human psyche because it goes all the way back, I think, to like early myths. Because like essentially, like you, you read some of the Greek myths and they read almost like superhero stories. Mm-hmm. You have these characters like Heracles and Perseus and Ajax and Jason. And they, they have these either incredible powers or they have a skill set that's really useful and they have all these crazy adventures and they defeat monsters or evil people or they 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 get some treasure and i just think that there's i i can't say what it is exactly but i i just think it must be something that's deep in the human psyche that we're looking for heroic models Mm -hmm. to aspire to and of course, every culture has their own kind of take on what the heroic ideal should be. Right. But they really, but a lot of superheroes and a lot of heroic characters in general kind of conform to like very similar uh, archetypes. And I've always thought it's it's interesting that we we find just a lot of these archetypes common across cultures. Yeah, yeah. Um, like it's seen as positive to be brave, you know, or to go and fight the monster, get the treasure, rescue the beautiful princess or whatever it is. Um, And I heard, I don't know where I read this from, but um, the modern superheroes, not only are they kind of extensions of ancient stories, but they're also, they also have this kind of Christian gloss to them because they've been kind of marinated in a more Christian culture. um, And, the characters kind of act like Christians, but they have the powers of um, you know, the ancient heroes like Her- Hercules and 
um, where Hercules, he'll fly into a blind rage and kill his family, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Superman doesn't do that, right? He, I mean, unless he's, I guess Hercules was also kind of um, brainwashed by Hera during a dream or something like that. And he thought he was killing enemies and it was his, his family and the whole town. Um, That's like something that would happen in modern comics, but we can get yeah, into that later. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Uh, but like the original Superman, you know, um, especially the, the early cartoons from like the 30s, um, they're very... I mean, he's, he's good, right? He does, he does good. He's not, he's not, they would never think of him necessarily flying into a rage and murdering a whole town. That, yeah, that comes later. No, I, I would totally agree that like, and I, I think I actually said this recently, either on another podcast or in, in some context, I, I had said that like the, um, the superhero stories have, have are building on, essentially the last 2000 years of Christian culture, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're, they're pulling from literature, right. which has just been, you know, like you said, marinating in, in Christian culture. And a lot of comic book creators almost can't help, but draw on biblical and Christian imagery, even if they don't know they're doing. It. Yeah. I mean, it's so it's, ingrained, especially when those characters were created. Right. So a lot of yeah. them are based off of like existing pulp characters. Like, um, Superman is, is, uh, Doc Samson, not Doc. Yes. Doc Samson? Yeah. Um, and Batman is, um, uh, what's his the name? The Shadow. The Shadow, thank yeah. you. The Shadow and, and Zorro, basically. Yes, um, yeah. And Batman explicitly models himself after Zorro because that was his childhood hero. Um, and, yeah, and Superman is also based off of Moses. Um, yes, the, I was going to get into that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the the heroes, uh, or the, the creators uh, were Jewish, I believe, um, who created Superman. And they explicitly modeled him after Moses, you know, the the um, the infant son sent away from a dying world, basically, and raised by um, raised by adopted parents. Um, yeah. So if you wanted to go continue on with that. <laughs> no. Yeah. No. Exactly. Uh, uh, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster were the the creators of Superman, and yeah, they they con I, I believe consciously. You know, we're, we're drawing on yeah. mosaic imagery with Superman. Of course, in a lot of modern Superman stories, they've overlaid also a, a lot of Christian imagery because sure. it, that's easy to do, right? Superman is a quote-unquote savior from somewhere else. Right. Arrived and is kind of, you know, showing us this better way that we can aspire to. Right. Well, he's, like the, he's like the exiled king. Kind of, you know. Also, yeah. 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 He's, he's from a royal house, the house right. of El. Like, Christ is from the house of David. Yeah, and it's really so, yeah, interesting. You know, the El, that is, um, that, that El means, E-L in uh, ancient Hebrew means God. Uh, right. Or, or yes. Elohim, you know, it means God or small g God, um, which is, they then they were explicitly doing that, right? They they knew what they were doing when they were doing oh, it. Yeah. So they were explicitly linking, like, Cal-El, you know, um, Jor-El. Uh, yeah, it's really, really fascinating. Um, and Batman, um, you ever, have you watched um, the John, Jonathan Pajot? Do you know him at all? Uh, it's not ringing a bell, no. Okay. Um, so he does a lot of, like, symbolism stuff. Um and he has this great video on Batman that kind of explains um, why Batman is so resonates with people so much. Um, and you should check it out. I, I maybe I, we won't go into it now, um, but 
uh, it has to do with the fall and um, losing, you know, innocence and have to, having to put on death to fight death. And so that's why he dresses as a bat, uh, which is it's fascinating. Oh, um, I like that. Yeah, you'll, you'll have to send that to me. Sure, that, yeah. That sounds right up my alley. Yeah. Um, yeah, so these comics, you, yeah, we, we both kind of grew up reading them. I think I started reading them in probably around the same time in like high school, um, starting to buy all the, the trade paperback, you know, graphic novels, um, spending lots of money yeah. on them, <laughs> trying to get them at used bookstores if I could, you know? Um, but yeah. so we have Marvel and DC. They, there were others too, but they, they're the only two that kind of remain now and in, in sort of, sort of like mainstream comic world. Do you read anything that they're putting out now? Or have you stopped? I've kind of stopped in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think the last kind of hurrah for me reading contemporary comics was when DC did their uh, DC Rebirth initiative. Okay. The New 52? A few years ago. That what that was? Uh, it was after the New 52. Oh, see, that's how long I started. I think I yeah, was like the New 52 oh, and then stopped. A lot of people, including me, were very disappointed with the direction of the New 52. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's not just that they were ignoring previous continuity. It's that they were stepping on it. Like they were yeah. really like treating it like, like it didn't matter. And a lot of people had come up through the 80s and 90s and the early 2000s uh, following these characters. Well, a friend of mine likes to say that that superheroes are kind of – that superhero comics are kind of like male soap operas mm. in a way because we, yeah. we, get, we get so invested in the characters and a lot of times in their familial relationships. Right. And to have those kind of wiped away – and in a lot of in a lot of cases, the New Fifty Two severely altered the personalities of a lot of characters. Yeah, well, and I remember that, when um, the uh, they did the classic Green Lantern, like the one from the forties. They made him gay, right? So yes, um, yeah, that was even my dad, who's not very conservative. I mean, a little bit, but um, he was like, well, "Like, what's going on here? What's like?" <laughs> You know, because yeah. you're right. You get invested in these characters, and you don't really want them to change. Um, but one, they've, they, yeah. yeah, they they've done that recently with two characters that I am a fan of: mm-hmm. um, Tim Drake, Robin, and uh, Superman's son, John Kent. Oh, both of, yeah, both of whom it. they have altered uh, to be bisexual. Mm-hmm. It's instead of creating new characters. <laughs> They alter old characters in this way, and and yeah, that that kind of put me off. But even before that, even before that, it's just like okay. So a- after the new fifty two, they bring in the Rebirth Initiative, which I was very excited for, mm-hmm. and I, I read a lot of the Rebirth comics. I, I read the Rebirth one shot where they bring back um, uh, Wally West, Flash, oh, okay. who they had who they had essentially erased. Yeah, as a character, but they brought him back, and that was very emotional. But as Rebirth went on, they kind of showed that they weren't committed to this new direction. They mm-hmm. went back to telling very dark, very depressing, very almost nihilistic, in my opinion, stories, and I, I just wasn't having it. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm more of a DC guy because I grew up. Sure. With the Batman animated series and did spin off Superman Justice League. So, you know, yeah. by temperament, I'm more of a DC guy. And to see DC kind of lose 
in my in my opinion, they're losing what makes those characters great. Yeah. Like I like to say I like to say that and other people have said this that the Marvel characters are the characters you identify with. Mm-hmm. Like we but DC's characters are the ones who you look up to. Yeah. And you aspire to be like. They're supposed to be these paragons. They're almost mytho- quasi mythological. And I'm like to just see the DC universe lose that spark, that kind of optimism, that yeah. that sense that we can aspire to greatness. I, yeah, and just in in Marvel and DC in general, the constant uh, event comic syndrome, mm-hmm. where event after event after event, and for for those who may not know, event comics are usually storylines that cross over most, if not all, of the titles that are running. Yeah, and there's like 50 DC. titles, you know. Right. So if you want to know like the whole DC. story, you have to buy all the... Yeah, it's... and it, Yeah. They so, shake up the status quo. Yeah. But the problem is, is that if you have no status quo to shake up... Right. You can't... Because you, you can't just constantly shake up the status quo over and over and over again. Right. And I feel like that they're using event comics to drive sales. Because they know that, like, even though the movies are mega popular, mm-hmm. they're still not getting the sales numbers on the comics that, that they would like. Oh, no, they've been plummeting. I know that. Yeah. Um, and it, so I was... Re- so I, I told you about this before we started... Um, recording and it kind of speaks to what you're talking about um so it's a book called um from star wars superman by james i still don't know how to pronounce that james Pe- uh Pepandria, uh christ figures in science fiction and superhero films by so published by sophia press um there's a section in here on superheroes and like it's one of the last chapters and they talk about how um uh, this, the author talks about how these stories are they keep going right so they they never they never really stop and um there's this constant cycle of um you know death and rebirth and um it's it's very pagan he said he he loves these stories so he's not like you know crapping all over them or anything but he he's like he's kind of noticing that like that's this endless cycle of you know good guy fights bad guy but the evil is driven away for a time then it comes back and this is never-ending cycle and um he, he says it's almost an exercise in futility um and that's kind of built into the structure of these stories, right? Because, like, these characters are over 70, 80 years old now, and they keep going. And so they have this – I don't know. I don't know what you make – what do you make of that? I've, I've often thought that they should address that mm-hmm. some way in a story. And sometimes you will read stories, whether as comics or as, like – animated series or, or movies where, where characters will kind of talk about the problem of evil and they'll say like, well, why do we keep fighting these bad guys if just more bad guys appear? Every right. time we knock one down, another one shows up. That's what he's, what he they, quotes Batman in that. I think it's from Batman The Dark Knight, I think, when he said fighting criminals is like pulling weeds. You pull one up and another one takes its place. You know, it's, it's just right, yeah, yeah. It's very nihilistic, but, the, but it, yeah. The funny thing is, is that they stop there, and they don't, and they don't follow that rabbit hole anywhere. Because the the way I I thought of that, because I remember watching an animated series once where the characters directly address that. They say, "Why am I fighting 
if every time I knock down a bad guy, another one just appears later. And my thought was, well, you need to recognize that you, as this this heroic figure, you're essentially a band-aid on the problem. You know, you can yeah. never be the Messiah. Right. You know, if, if someone crucifies you tomorrow, your death will not save the world right. and, you know, atone for You'll sin. <laughs> so, like, it's like, so... The heroes are are messianic figures to an extent, mm-hmm. but they're not complete messianic figures. Yeah, and like, yeah, it, it, it's important to recognize that that superheroes and other you know characters of that nature are kind of band aids on the problem. They can they could and should keep fighting evil, but they're never going to fix the fallen nature of the universe. Mm-hmm. That requires action from outside. You know, as we would say, yeah. you know. The incarnation of Christ. Well, I think it's another way um, that these stories kind of mirror the ancient pagan myths, right? Because a lot of these ancient stories, um, in many ways, were kind of awaiting uh, the true Messiah. Um, Right. You know, Hercules, as mighty as he is, he can't save the world from sin. You know, he can't defeat death, right? He can't defeat evil once and for all. And, um, and it's the same thing with these superhero stories. Uh, since I mean, it, it's it's even built into how they're written, right? So they're they're like you go for a while for like five years, and then you get all these crazy characters, and um, it just stops making sense after a while. That's why they have to like reboot it, you know, start the right. universe over, like a kind of like a, you know, those ancient pagan cycles, you know, that they just things just right. keep going it's and like- going and going. And they, they, they need Ragnarok to reset everything, yeah. like the Norse gods, you know. Like, right. But yeah, and it, it, it's interesting you should mention, like, you know, that the, the old pagan heroes couldn't defeat death. Because getting back to the monomyth for a second, a lot of, uh, in ancient pagan mythologies, the hero will enter the underworld. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he will either retrieve a person or some boon. Right. from the underworld or barely escape himself or herself and barely <laughs> escape himself but he never defeats death he right. never you know as uh it says in uh somewhere in the new testament you know he shall put all his enemies under his feet right meaning christ and the last enemy to be destroyed is death but like a lot of uh commentators have noticed that christ is kind of the fulfillment of all of these myths because you know the the old idea of the, the hounding of uh, the harrowing of hell yeah where you know christ enters sheol he enters the underworld and releases all of the the just the yeah. the patriarchs the prophets all the people the, the good people over the centuries who have you know been awaiting his coming and they're allowed to enter paradise so it's like christ is the definitive hero who enters the underworld mm-hmm. and releases the captives and all that stuff and and you see it too in 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 superhero comics and even in fantasy, you know, like in, in, in uh, my favorite example is Lord of the Rings, where Aragorn descends into the underworld and retrieves that army of the dead to, right. to fight free. for him. So yeah. that that kind of imagery is just repeated yeah. throughout cultures, and it's almost on a subcon on a subconscious level, right? You know, which I just find fascinating. But yeah, like these these heroes are are pointing us toward something greater but i think a lot of our culture just gets stuck looking at that and doesn't yeah. look any higher 
Right. And then modern, like a lot of the modern comics, um, uh, in the last few years, last, I think when, when Disney bought Marvel, that's when things really started to go with, it's funny when I, when Disney bought Marvel, um, I was not yet, I, I hadn't come back to the church. So, or maybe I had, and I was, I don't know. I can't remember, but I don't remember what it was. Um, but I was like, oh, cool. So Disney now owns like everything. I thought it was a good thing. And now, I'm, <laughs> and now I'm like, oh no, that was probably a really bad idea because now Disney controls the stories and I don't really like Disney all that much. <laughs> so <laughs> um, Disney's fine. I don't know. Like all of the movies are pretty good, but like, uh, um, but what do you think? So like a lot of the stories now are very, very dark or completely... Yes. In clown world, I guess, as some people say, where good is bad or bad is good. And, and um, they're really preachy with like a lot of progressive um, talking points. And so or they take characters and subvert them. Um, right. And like I remember when Captain America, I hadn't re- I'd never read this comic, but um, they said, oh, he's a Nazi. Actually, like, the whole time he's been a Nazi. Right. So or not a, a Hydra. He's been an agent of Hydra. Yeah. Oh, they tried to hand wave that away. Yeah. Because people were pissed, man. Like they're right. Because <laughs> like, they were like, like the oh, America. he was really like, you know, it was some uh, I didn't read it. So I don't know the details. Yeah, but I didn't read it. Apparently there was the some news. kind of mind control involved or he was replaced by an alternate reality version. It had something to do with the cosmic cube. Like well, the what you were saying, about it's, a, it's a male soap opera, right? All these crazy things. Like he was my half brother's evil twin or something, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah I, but, I just kind of clicked right now. Um, like comics have always, have always spoke to the political landscape. I mean, mm-hmm. especially if you look at, if you go back and read some of the, the letters to the editor that Stan Lee, answer Mm -hmm. where people back then would complain oh you're being too political and he would say like well of course i am i have to comment on the culture that's around me art usually does that Mm -hmm. the problem is is that now it's just one voice yeah there's no kind of i don't know would you say ideological spectrum i I don't know it's just like that they're all in lockstep promoting the, same the general kind of progressive melu ideology that's that's dominant yeah. in the culture from hollywood to you know politics to the media to all this stuff and it can alienate readers you yeah know, just normal not, people who want a story and not to be lectured you know um, well yeah and th- that's the problem too is that they, they either lecture whereas like you know that the characters will just essentially break the fourth wall and tell the audience you know like like, like the old gi joke thing and knowing is half the battle yeah right you know yeah. like or it will just be kind of in your face mm-hmm. and they will put character they will have characters whose sole function is to make some kind of moral point or to yeah. you know fill in they're, they're essentially kind of roster like they it's like a box checking and, yeah like right and, and everyone is so focused on identity right. these days that they forget to build an interesting character right whereas the, the character like they create these cardboard characters that are just stereotype types based on their ideas of identity mm-hmm. and what specific identities should be like and it, it hurts the bad guys too like yeah. 
I like, I, I don't want to get too much into this, but like there was, I remember there was a recent controversy where they essentially had Marvel essentially had the red skull quoting Jordan Peterson. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. <laughs> yeah. As if clean your room, you know, <laughs> which, well, the thing is it, it actually takes away or it does violence to the character of the red skull. Right. Who is a Nazi, you know, he <laughs> should be like, you know, he should be spouting Nazi ideology, right. not, you know, like it, it, it turns that character in, into a joke, essentially. Yeah, right? basically. But, yeah. But they don't care because they, you know, they, they've essentially equated like anything right of center as anathema. Yeah. I so think that was kind of going... Coates who wrote that one. Um, it was. Yeah. yeah. I have not but read yeah, it from <laughs> You see this, and it, it it just alienates readers, and I I don't see how they think sales are going to improve this way. Well, it might not be about sales, unfortunately. If it were That's about sales, true. they'd probably avoid this kind of stuff. But I've actually been going back and trying to read some of the older stuff that I missed. Yeah, that was before me. You know, read. I, I really want to read through the classic Spider Man. Like the early Spider-Man yeah, comics, I want to read through the classic Incredible Hulk because mm-hmm. I'm becoming actually becoming more fascinated with the Hulk as a character, especially his early appearance appearances. As someone who actually does kind of struggle with, you know, anger, yeah, as an issue. It's funny. One of my first jobs that I had, my hair trigger temper was actually so noticeable that one of my one of my co-workers nicknamed me dr banner <laughs> so like <laughs> oh man but in any case like yeah it's like i i want to go back and read these kind of classic stories because a lot a lot of the contemporary stuff just isn't just isn't doing it for me yeah no it's uh, a lot of it's it's just it's a lot of it's boring, you know. It's not they're not interesting stories anymore. I mean, I haven't read a contemporary yeah. comic, and I don't even know. I've had a lot but... of fun with the crossovers that uh, have been happening, especially with the Ninja Turtles. Oh yeah, yeah. They have had some amazing crossovers. TMNT Batman, yeah, is some of the most fun I've had reading comics. Uh, TMNT Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. It's also amazing. And TMNT Power Rangers. <laughs> TMNT Power Rangers may have been the most fun I've had reading a comic in years. Because cool. that made me feel like I was eight years old. Who publishes that? Oh, TMNT Power Rangers, uh, I think was IDW and Boom Studios okay. collaboration. Okay, cool. But that, that made me feel like an eight-year-old again. I had so awesome. much fun with that. Yeah, and that's those... the kind of stories I want. Just yeah. bonkers, off the wall fun. Because the comic books is a medium where you can do so many crazy things, like we were talking about. Right. So many uh, just insane stuff. That's why I actually think, and th- this might be a controversial opinion, but out of the, the DC EU movies, mm-hmm. you know, like Man of Steel, Batman vs. Superman, all of those, the one that was my favorite was Aquaman. Really? Yes, because that one felt most like what I think a comic book movie should be. Yeah. It was big. It was loud. It had fun characters. It had all this crazy stuff, all these Atlantean factions and cool. all this crazy technology. 
and yeah, so it's just like, just give me something that surprises me, that right. makes me feel energized and excited to be reading this. Where nowadays, like we like we've been talking about, they've produced a lot of dull and depressing stories. Mm. You know, yeah. where it's like, no, that's not why I read comics. Right, I don't want to be depressed. Um, so I'm kind of looking at your you have a, you have a website, um, and I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, and you write a lot of articles for um, Word on Fire, Catholic Ministries. It's uh, Bishop Barron's. Um, it's Bishop Barron's thing, right? It's, yes. Okay. Yep. And then uh, Voyage Comics, and then um, a few others too. Like uh, I, I've read. Is it Alatea? Is that how you pronounce it? I've read. I, pro- I pronounce it Alatea. Alatea. Everyone okay. seems to pronounce it differently. <laughs> yeah, I've I've read a lot of their stuff. They're they're good. Um, but you read a lot for uh, Voyage Comics, and yes. uh, why don't you, do you? Why don't you tell me what your role is for them and what they're all about and um, how you got involved with them? Yeah, so uh, Voyage Comics is a small uh, Catholic owned and operated a comic book company run by my friend uh, Philip Kozlowski. And it's funny because um, that was actually the first – my first published article was on uh, their blog. Yeah. It was on Voyage Comics' blog. That was back in February of 2020. And what did you write about? Which one was uh, that? that? That was about um, – it was about Captain America. Specifically, it was the uh, the Jeff Loeb uh, story, Captain America White, which was part of his uh, color series, like Spider-Man Blue, Daredevil oh, okay. Yellow. And Captain America White was a, a period piece. It was set in World War II, and it was kind of about it was about exploring his sort of big brother relationship with Bucky. Okay. And like, because uh, like all all those all those uh, stories in that series, Spider Man, Daredevil, Captain America, those color series focused on relationships, but. Captain America one instead of focusing on a romantic relationship focused on a platonic relationship okay and I, I thought it was interesting to explore that because so much of the time now when they write relationships in comics they it has to be sexualized they right. focus it on romantic relationships and I'm like and they're almost afraid to have characters be friends right without being romantically involved in right. some way Right. And it's like, no, you can have these two, you know, men. Okay, one's a teenager, one is like in his mid twenties, maybe, who are friends, who are like brothers. Mm-hmm. And it, I, I just wanted to explore that relationship and commend Jeff Loeb for writing it that way. Yeah, Jeff Loeb is good. I like. Je- I've always liked Jeff Loeb. Um, so, uh, yeah, you've written a lot for Voyage Comics, and yes. um, you mostly. Uh, do you just write articles for them um, on their blog? You have a, quite a few, it looks like. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm actually uh, basically contributing to their blog once a month. Okay. And uh, I've, I've written a lot about superheroes. I've also written a lot about sci-fi. I've mm-hmm. contributed articles about Star Wars and Star Trek, um, Tolkien, uh, all that great stuff. And in fact, uh, also in uh, last year, or no, is it this year? 2021 right yes yeah, <laughs> the mm-hmm. pandemic has messed up my conception oh, of time it's but everybody yeah it's yeah, yeah i've also uh i've story edited a couple of their comics oh cool it's been really exciting both uh issue i think it's issue five of finian and the seven mountains which is a really cool historical fantasy comic book 
Yeah. Which, which is great because everyone just thinks comic books, oh, superheroes. They just equate it with superheroes. Right. But comic books, it, it's less of a genre and more of a storytelling medium. And you can right. tell all kinds of stories with comic books, and including fantasy and sci-fi and slice of life, basically anything you want. And so Finian and the Seven Mountains is a historical fantasy having to do with um, uh, mo- the uh, monks who actually lived on a Skellig Michael, the island uh, that was Luke Skywalker's island in mm. the recent Star Wars movies, because mm-hmm. uh, that was actually a, it had a medieval monastery there. Yeah. And so the, the comic follows this young man who discovers a map um, that's going to lead him to the legendary Sword of St. Michael. And the, the sword is in pieces. Oh, cool! And so, as 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 the story goes on, he is he is dogged by uh, uh, both enemies seen and unseen of uh, evil Vikings, as well as more supernatural enemies. Cool. And so, I got the story edit uh, issue five, and I also helped to edit uh, issue one of the Phantom Phoenix, which is uh, their other big new title, which is uh, a noir crime fighter superhero mm-hmm. story um, about an, an African-American uh, World War I veteran in the 1920s. He's disabled he, uh, and is homeless, but he's actually also a crime fighter. Yeah, I saw really that. Yeah. Cool. The, art, the and, art looks really good for both of those comics. Um, and, oh, they do such a good job. They, yeah. they hire professional artists working in the industry. That's awesome. Who've done work for Marvel and because they're really the good, other... like they're really. That's what gets it for me is you know I mean it's with a comic book it's not just the story it's the art too. Like oh that's, yes, that's like more important in many ways, um, or at least as important. Like if you get if you have it's like if the art is bad you don't want to read it right. That's um, right. But the art for the both of those look it looks really good, um, and I like the 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 noir sort of setting for the Phantom Phoenix. That looks pretty cool. I have not read either one. Um, but the cool thing about the Phantom Phoenix is that that he's also integrating uh, some of the characters from the uh, G.K. Chesterton's Father Brown stories. Oh, really? <laughs> including one of the villains oh, cool. uh, from those stories makes an appearance. And uh, I actually got to write some of that villain's dialogue. And I love writing villain dialogue because I like to be very over the top with some <laughs> of the, the villain dialogue. I, I, I love a good villain speech. And so, uh, that's cool. Um, so what do you think is the role of like, um, stories for a Christian, I guess, for a Catholic, um, just, I, I'm going to leave that open. <laughs> that's in, very broad, <laughs> but in terms of reading or writing stories, well, in terms of, uh, I guess in terms of, you know, of both of those reading, mostly, um, creating art, you know, and, um, uh, what role they play in um our own faith life i suppose i don't know something like that <laughs> yeah and i i know i i i think yeah the, the two of us have, have kind of been following this kind of ongoing debate on twitter about you know can mythology you know and storytelling mm-hmm. help grow get, help someone grow in the faith and there's this idea that it helps kind of prime the imagination yeah that's and my that's think, my position i guess that's why I have yeah, this no, show. I, I, I think there's, I think there's truth in that because to use the imagination to think about other worlds, mm-hmm. 
I guess, kind of primes us to think in terms of there's more to the universe than what we can see and measure. Yeah. Right. Cause I, and, and we're both from scientific backgrounds, so we know the danger of scientism, mm-hmm. right? Where it's just like, nope, all that exists is what I can measure and look at under a microscope or, you know, see in a mass spectrometer or something like right. that. But no, and I I, uh, I talked a bit about this in the, the recent podcast I did about uh, Ray Bradbury's work, where his fiction, where there's this sense of just you know, that there's another world kind of just under the surface that, that even the most mundane things in ordinary life mm-hmm. have a spiritual dimension to them yeah. or, you know, represent something that's, that's much higher. I, I don't want to make it too much sound too much. Like it's like platonic forms or something like that, but mm-hmm. like, um, but yeah, I, I just think that that fiction helps prime the mind to, to think in terms of this world of matter and energy is not all there is. Yeah. That it's, it's contained within a much higher world because like everything we deal with is contingent, right? Right. And there has to be a ground for that contingency. And that sometimes, you know, the supernatural can kind of break into ordinary life Mm -hmm. and disrupt it. And I think that, you know, that doesn't happen in, you know, in a kind of miraculous way to everybody. But you can encounter those kinds of things in fiction. And I think fiction is just kind of a non-threatening way. Because, like, it's easy for people to just get their guard up immediately. If, If they're steeped in kind of secularism and scientism it's easy for people to just as soon as you start mentioning the supernatural or god or angels or miracles they just put up a barrier right you know between you it's, and it's like it, i think too it, it can be a good discussion piece for like evangelization it's like okay when i was in college a lot of my friends were either atheists or agnostic yep in in the program obviously. are you a cradle catholic or are you a convert or? yes I'm, I'm a cradle catholic okay yeah, and a lot of a lot of my friends were had had probably been raised in a Christian context, but now yeah. that they were in college, you know, were either atheists or agnostics or just non-practicing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them, like me, were fans of Lord of the Rings. And but a lot of them didn't know about the very rich Christian and specifically Catholic imagery. Yeah, it was in the Lord of the Rings, and I used to use that as just a way to talk to people. Yeah. They're like, look, here's all this amazing stuff. Like, did, did you know this? And they'd be like, no, really? And it, it, it was just an interesting way to kind of plant that seed. Yeah. You know, I wasn't trying to quote unquote convert them of anything. Right. But just to like plant that seed of like, look, like, uh, you know, Catholic Christianity has influenced the last 2,000 years of art and yeah. is still doing it right. in contemporary literature. Right. You know, and, and yeah. that's what I try to do in all my articles is look for those. Uh, Bishop Barron likes to call them seeds of the gospel. Right. In popular culture. And a lot of, I, I really think a lot of comic book writers do it without noticing it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, like I, you grow up in that environment, you kind of just, you know, take stuff in. You know, I'm like a lot of the Jewish writers who wrote these stories, 
many of them, I, I don't know if they were observant, you know, Jews or not, but they knew the legends, they knew the stories, and they incorporated them subconsciously or, or you know, explicitly into their creations. Um, and the same with the Catholic writers, too. Um, like, I know Mike Mignola, who, Mignola, Mignola, um, you know, creator of Hellboy, he's right. was raised Catholic, um, and he's unfortunately fallen away from the faith, but, like, his faith still he, he draws on the legends and, and on, yeah. the, on the kind of the mythic quality of it and incorporates that into his storytelling along with other like pagan myths and stuff like that um, to make really interesting stories. Um, but yeah, it, I always found recently I haven't been giving people when I want to talk to somebody about the faith or whatever, I, I usually don't give them Scott Hahn books. You know, I usually don't give them, like explicitly Catholic books. What I usually do is give them Lord of the Rings or something, you know, right? or give them an author that I really like, like Gene Wolfe or somebody like, um, just to, you know, here, just read this and be, just enjoy the beautiful aspects of it. And I won't even tell you they're Catholic, you know, really a lot of the time I'll just <laughs> tell you to read them. Um, cause I, sometimes if you say, Oh yeah, they're Catholic, they won't want to read it. Right. So it's kind of a dangerous this podcast I'm doing is kind of dangerous because I want to draw attention to these Catholic artists, but I also like don't want to alienate them and but put them in a box of like these guys are Catholic, right? And that's what they right. are. And then people will just kind of throw pigeonhole them into a little political category or whatever. And I don't really want to do that, but at the same time, you can't like not talk about it because you know it's kind of a dangerous game to play. But I don't know. Uh, so I've been I haven't been like. I mean, I, I want to. If people are interested, I'll give them a Scott Hahn book or whatever, you know. Right. <laughs> but um, if they don't, if I know they're not going to read it, if I know they're never going to read something like that, at least right away, I'm like, well, I'll give you Lord of the Rings, and I'll at least give you something really beautiful to read. <laughs> so. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or it's like you know, a lot of people, you know, I've heard that you know some some of the best selling uh, classical albums right now are Gregorian chant. Yeah, yeah. Among people who are, you know, secular or non-religious. I had this conversation you know? today a little bit. I, I was talking to my mother-in-law was talking about Gregorian chant. And I'm like, oh, maybe I'll go buy a Halo album or something. <laughs> you know, like the video ah. games Halo. Because they have a lot of Gregorian, yeah. like, kind of chant. I don't know if it's specifically Gregorian chant. But they have a lot of, like, chanting music. And a ton of people love that. Like, the music, everybody talks about the music in Halo. And how right. it's so beautiful, right? Like, people really really love that stuff oh i i love i love the soundtrack of the elder scrolls games yeah. even though i've never played them no oh, really i've never played them but i love listening to the soundtracks yeah they're just incredible yeah oh man yeah skyrim is it's, it's great it's a great game um i haven't played it in a while but uh yeah the music is really good um and the, the mythology in that game too is cool i like i like it a lot um yeah, so, I do know a bit about the mythology because I'm that kind of person who, even if I've never played a game or a series, I will go onto the wiki and start looking up all the mythology behind it. Yeah, yeah, and stuff. Because I, I love lore. I'm yeah. one of those people who like uh, who loves the lore behind the universe. I have so many of those like Star Wars books that talk about all the like all the details behind all the technology of the ships and the locations and stuff. I, I love worlds that like Tolkien are kind of fully realized worlds. They're fleshed out, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And that's, that's another thing where it just, it just goes so much beyond just mere storytelling. It becomes creating a world 
and to bring it back to comics, I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, we mentioned the new 52, especially why that alienated so many DC readers. Yeah. That they felt that the people running DC did not care right. about the world. Now, of course, you know, they've been doing the wipe the slate clean reboot since, you know, crisis on infinite earth. Right. That's what started it. I think. Right. It's yeah. Crisis, and yeah. people were upset by that. But the new 52, <laughs> at least was the just, crisis storyline was pretty epic, you know, <laughs> like I've and, read that. Exactly. One. It's pretty, exactly. it's pretty, and, and, and they showed cool. that like they cared about, even about the characters who were either being let go or being merged into other characters. Was that, like, um, still... Wally West's last appearance as the flash or was that Barry Allen? It was Barry Allen's last appearance for okay. a while before flat flashpoint, I think. Okay. No, um, flash rebirth. Okay. Flash Rebirth, Barry Allen comes back, and then Flashpoint kind of resets. That worked into like the the coming of the New Fifty Two, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's like people thought that like, oh, you do not care about these legacy characters. You do not care about this universe. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, it just kind of is that it's that not only are they you know they they have their own motivations. The people who kind of control these intellectual properties. But the, it's the nature of this kind of storytelling process of these superheroes specifically is that since there's no like end point, there's no like time where Batman is going, unless you, you know, in the, in the Nolan films where he retires, right? That's um, why I love the Nolan films. See, I didn't it's like a that beginning, about him. a middle, and an end. Yeah, that's true. I, I thought that was so subversive. I like, they didn't so what I like, yeah, it was like, no, he's done. He, he gets his happy ending. And that, that is good. That is good. I want, I just love the, um, old man Batman, you know, like from the Dark Knight Returns, where he's just this grizzled old man who has to come out of retirement and become Batman again, you know, and, yes. and that's what I really like. So, um, but what, with these with these stories, the, the reason they have to reboot them, and I'm just kind of thinking of this as we're kind of talking, um, is because there's no end. And so they get, things yes. get too crazy and they have to reboot it and start start everything new. And whenever you, when you do that, then they have that chance to okay now we can reset everything now we can make we can twist these characters into whatever shape we want you know and the audience can you know go jump off a bridge or whatever <laughs> you know it doesn't matter what the audience wants. The thing is, is that they also have Elseworld stories. Yeah. And usually, if they really want to reshape the character into something wildly different, they'll leave that to an Elseworld story. And a lot of those Elseworld stories are really top-notch stories. They're good. Yeah, I like a lot of them. Mm-hmm. You know, like, uh, uh, I, I love most of uh, DC's uh, Earth-1 line yeah well like you, have an, you have an article earth on one is one of my favorite superman stories well you have an article on earth one i think right on yeah earth on superman one. earth one there it is yeah um yeah i love that story yeah talk about that one um and your article and because i read your article but i think it was like last week so um <laughs> okay yeah so like yeah superman earth one is basically uh retelling his origin and it's like a class, they, they do kind of a classic coming of age thing. And I really identify uh, with Clark in this story because they make him a young man in like, I think his mid 20s. He's fresh out of college, but he doesn't know what to do with himself, mm-hmm. you know? And he has all these talents and these abilities, and he, he's just kind of lost. Like, his, and it's funny, his, his parents, his Earth parents, were kind of, is pushing him to kind of embrace 
what makes him different and to perhaps be a superhero mm-hmm. to help the downtrodden. But he kind of pushes that away. And he's like, no, no, I want to live a normal life. I want to fit in, you know? And I, I kind of connect that in the article to the parable of the talents um, yeah, that Jesus yeah. tells in which, um, you know, there's a rich man going away and he gives his money to several servants and the wise ones invest it, but the foolish one buries it in the ground and it doesn't make any interest. And he gives it back to his master when he returns and he's like, here's your money. And the master is like, no, you you will be punished because you have not, you know, used this talent. Of course, back then, talent was like an insane amount of money. Yeah, It was, I think, like, I think 800 pounds of silver or something. Or oh, was wow. it 80? I can't remember. But it, it's an insane amount of money. Yeah. And it's that sort of evolved into our word in English, talent, meaning a skill or, you know, a gift that you have. Yeah. And so Clark is kind of suppressing his natural gifts to try and lead this normal life. But if, and, but he's not completely running away. It's interesting because he also wants to help the downtrod in some way. He just, he's, but he's so afraid of rejection of people knowing who he really is. Yeah. An alien from outer space with these powers that he doesn't want to put that into the open. But events eventually force his hand. Mm -hmm. Because aliens end up coming to Earth, and they issue an ultimatum. We want the last son of Krypton, or we're going to destroy this planet. Yeah. And so he's kind of forced into revealing himself. But in doing that, he embraces who he truly is. Mm -hmm. And he kind of, you know, he, he discovers his true self in his vocation in his yeah. mission as Superman, in serving other people. And that's really subversive today because a lot of what we, a lot of self-help books will tell you, oh, you must be yourself. You must do all this navel gazing, in other yeah. words, to, to discover who who you truly are. But Superman discovers who he truly is in service, in mission, mm-hmm. in helping other people, in not focusing so much on himself and his problems. Right. And so those are the kind of themes I I tried to explore. And that that was written by uh, uh, J. Michael Straczynski wrote that story. Okay. Um, He's he's famously, he's the writer of the sci-fi television series Babylon 5. That's what it is. Okay. He's a really good writer. Yeah. And it's funny, he he is not a religious person. Right. In fact, I think he's come out and said some pretty anti-religious things. But again, he can't help including these kind of biblical illusions. Right. In right. his story, yeah, you, you, yeah. A lot of these guys um, grew up Catholic, you know, and they fall away, yeah. right? So they, uh, which is really a shame. Um, but they have these stories, like kind of just in their imagination, and whenever they write something, it, it kind of just plays out that way. I, I don't think people could write a truly pagan story necessarily, you know. Without, I think, I get on, you know, on social media, I give George R. R. Martin a hard time. Um, ah, ah. Uh, but I think one of the theories is why he has, why, as to why he hasn't finished Game of Thrones. This whole series is um, every time. I mean, the show. I never watched the show. I watched like one episode of it, and I was like, no, this isn't for me. Um, but the show, I guess, the last episode, the last season, people really didn't like it. I don't know why. Um, but and so because of the backlash on that, and because um, he 
whenever he's trying to write something, you know, he, I, one person said he catches himself writing something heroic, right. Or something like where grace kind of breaks in and the supernatural, you know, all these things, all these good things kind of start happening. And he, he tries to put a stop to that, right. In his writing. So he writes himself into a corner. Um, and that's why he hasn't finished the last one. I don't know. There's a lot of, re- there's a lot of theories as to why he hasn't finished, but I think it, it's plausible. You know, he's writing and subconsciously he wants to, you know, have the good guys win in the end, you know, or whatever. And, um, and instead of just randomly killing off people. And I've read the first two books. So I, I, I know a little bit about the series, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think he's overrated. I think he's a good, I think, I think he, his characters are interesting. I think he, he's got some skill as a writer, but he, I don't know. It's just not, there's a reason why it's popular. I just don't like that everyone feels like they need to imitate him. Well, I don't like all the incest. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, but I mean, like his Game of Thrones has spawned so many imitators in the fantasy world. Now you, you go to any bookstore and you pick up any random fantasy book off the shelf and you read the dusty, what's written on the dust jacket. And you're like, well, this is just game of Thrones. again." (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, yeah, it's this sort of like, I know some people. All the Tolkien imitators in the 80s and 90s, you know, like. Uh, Terry Brooks and, um, but yeah, it's this kind of, it's the same thing with comics too, where this kind of nihilism has sort of crept in and this sort of like weariness of the characters. They don't, you know, they don't want to, you know, when things are, um, they get twisted into something else or, um, the characters, the characters themselves are disillusioned, right? That was a big thing in yes. the nineties. Um, or it's like all the gritty anti-hero stuff where they're like really disillusioned. They don't know. And it, it like, it really tracks with the culture, right? Like, like, like you were saying earlier, like these comics really mirror what's going on in the culture. Um, and is it the cult is the, are the comics affecting the culture or is the culture affecting the comics or, you know, is yeah, it, I really think it's like a feedback. Yeah. You know, that the culture, like, the culture influences what is portrayed on the page and in film, and that just makes those things more socially acceptable. Yeah. So it, it, it's like this sort of feedback, you know, and it, it's such a shame because, okay, I, I'm not a parent. I don't have kids. Mm-hmm. But I often think, like, if I had kids and they were into comics would I let them read contemporary comics? <laughs> and that's a hard question. Yeah, I'd probably say like, no, not not the modern. I would tell them avoid anything published in the last like eight years, you know, like just anything before, you know, Disney bought. Right, like give know. them the classic stuff or yeah. you know, show them those old animated series, which are, because yeah. like, yeah, it's like a lot of, and even comics that are like supposedly rated all ages can be problematic. Yeah. Well, they're either subversive or they're so shallow. They don't, they're nothing, you know, they're just nothing stories. Right. Right. Which yeah. I also have a problem with. Cause I'm like, at least the subversive stuff, there's something to, there's something there, you know, like it's not good, but like, at least it's not nothing, you know? No. Yeah. I, I read some all ages, uh, star Wars comics mm-hmm. last year. And, you know, I, I just got a few issues on a lark. And I read them, and I was like, "These stories are nothing. They're so empty. Yeah, nothing happens. Right. And I'm like, and even when when it does happen, it's all resolved very quickly. And 
you know, that there's no real story there. Right. You know, and yeah, I, I just think that um, they're not holding themselves to a high standard anymore. <laughs> and in, 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 especially in, in comic books, in even the art, there's been some exposés done by people on YouTube yeah. about how the uh, a lot of the artists for the current Marvel Star Wars comics have been stealing fan art. Oh, have been straight up like tracing and you know inserting fan art you know and it's like okay sometimes you don't want to blame the artist because there's like some sort of editorial mandate you've got to do it on this crazy deadline yeah, or whatever yeah. but it, it's still not right that is still plagiarism right and you know have been stealing fan art and fan designs for ships and so in, in the writing and the art they're not holding themselves to high standards and that's why you know I, I like the guys at Voyage Comics, yeah, because they they really put a lot of care into all their projects, and as a small team, they can do that, right? You know, I really think you know with with indie com the indie comic scene is probably more vibrant now than it's been probably ever. I mean, like with yeah. crowdfunding sites, you know. So like, but but even those like with, with a lot of them uh, too, you you have to be careful, you know, because some of them like you know will publish things that, you know, they couldn't get away with in mainstream comics because they're, like, too explicit. Yeah, right. So, yeah. It's like, like, yeah. Uh, oh, go ahead. But, yeah, it's just, like, you know, I, I really respect those people who, who go out, you know, on the indie route because, like, I feel like DC and Marvel especially are kind of so set in their ways right now. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, like the the way they're telling stories, that they they are not going to change anytime soon. And because both of them are now owned by giant mega corporations, right? They're never going to go out of business, right? Yeah, exactly. So they, they don't have to worry about. It. They just keep so producing they, stuff, and people keep consuming it. I mean, that. <laughs> that's like in a, in a kind not of really, race though. The sales are going down like crazy. Where now, like I. I've read that uh, like manga, you know, um, is outselling American comics in places like Barnes and Noble, you know. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, man, I wish manga weren't also problematic in many ways. <laughs> yeah, there are issues with that too. Um, but uh, different issues <laughs> in some ways. Um, but what other yeah, indie? Different. What other indie comic? Uh, what other indie? Does co Voyage Comics and what other indie comics do you like that you would recommend people? Oh, yeah. Uh, there is a great series put out by a company called Terminus Media, I think. Uh, Dominion, Fall of the House of Saul. Oh, okay. And that is a comic that is essentially a retelling of uh, the books of Samuel from the Bible. But it is a space opera. Oh, cool. And the characters are all uh, anthropomorphic animals. <laughs> so the, the the creators like to describe it as Narnia meets Star Wars, and it, okay, it, it's kind of like that in the sense that there are talking animals and it is set in outer space. But it's just a great retelling of the uh, the story of Saul and you know David and kind of Saul's descent into jealousy and madness. Yeah, yeah. For David and stuff, the art is great. Um, there's a lot of if, if you love outer space stuff, you're gonna like it. And to just see that story kind of transplanted mm -hmm. into outer space is is really cool. Cool. And then, do you write um, do you write fiction yourself? Yeah, actually. Um, and in fact, I kind of want to make twenty twenty two the kind of year of fiction mm -hmm. 
I'd like to really start focusing more on that. I've written a few short stories. None of them have been published anywhere. Mm-hmm. But I've, I've gotten good feedback from beta readers. Um, I'm really uh, influenced a lot by Ray Bradbury. Yeah. I, I've spoken about his kind of of weaving the supernatural into sci-fi is something that I'm really interested in. Um, also, I have this really big dream to write a fantasy novel, and uh, I, I've been working with a creative consultant oh, cool. on that to kind of iron out some of the, the world-building issues that I've been hung up on. Mm-hmm. And you know, and also, I I do have this really crazy idea for a comic book that would be a sci-fi action romance. <laughs> And I don't know if I'll ever write this, yeah. but I had the idea years ago and it, it's kind of like, it's kind of based on those old like planetary stories like John Carter of Mars, sure. mm-hmm. but I kind of subvert some of the classic tropes oh, okay. of those and kind of make it, make it more fresh and new without completely rejecting the older stuff. Okay kind of updating some of the problematic elements of those old stories and and i i just want to do something that's that's really fun and bombastic and out there yeah like I, I'm, I'm no artist so like i would have to find you know you know partners who are willing to do you know the the art and the the lettering all, all the work that goes into a comic book is, is just massive like yeah, you almost need like this the giant apparatus that Marvel and DC have, but right. like, you know, but yeah, so no, I, I really want to get into writing more fiction. I love fiction. It's kind of like my first love when it comes to writing. Yeah, that's great. Well, good luck with that. That's, that sounds awesome. And uh, we need more Catholic writers. Um, I, I've enjoyed your, uh, your nonfiction articles as well. Um, so I, we could, I, I kind of want to talk about Ray Bradbury a little bit. Cause I really like Ray Bradbury. Um, so what about his writing that what, what what about it really speaks to you and um because i remember he has this sort of he has this way to make uh nostalgic he nostalgic things like horrific you know um yes yeah yeah so like he'll paint this like in the martian chronicles you know the the martians will recreate i, I think it was it was in kansas it was a like kentucky or something like that where it, the earth astronauts land and like, Oh, this, is, this looks like home, you know? And like, Oh, there's mom and dad. And it's like, this, they have this beautiful dinner and like, and then they get eaten by the, by the, or they get killed by the Martians. Yeah. And it's just this horrific scene, you know, where they're realizing this is no, this is not our home, you know? And it's, yeah, he is. That's what I really like about, right. About Bradbury. I don't know. What, what do you really like about his work? Yeah. Bradbury was a huge influence on the twilight zone. As okay. you can probably tell, because mm-hmm. a lot of his stories seem like they're lost episodes of the yeah. Twilight Zone. Yeah. But yeah, I, I just love the way um, he's able to, like I said, kind of weave the supernatural into sci-fi in a way that none of his contemporaries were really interested in doing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like everybody, everybody smushes Bradbury in between Asimov and Clark. Mm-hmm. as like the ABCs of science fiction. Yeah. But he's really nothing like either of those two guys. Those uh, Isaac Asimov and Arthur C. Clarke were more of like the grandfathers of like hard science fiction. Right. 
Where Ray Bradbury, I, I kind of think he's like the progenitor of, I guess, what today we would call magical realism. Yeah. Where like, because e- even like mm-hmm. in, in a lot of his story, in it, like in his novel, something wicked this way comes, or in a lot of his stories that are set in suburbia, mm-hmm. you know, he's able to weave the kind of odd and supernatural and sometimes quite sinister supernatural elements into you know everyday life and i just like how in his stories um the supernatural whether for good or for ill breaks into a character's life and just upends it yeah right you know and the characters have to just confront this just sense of otherness Mm -hmm. of dealing with the supernatural whether it's they suddenly time travel for no reason or like right you know they they encounter you know some strange entity or a martian or like and a lot of his stories are are open-ended yeah and i think that might strike some people as not satisfying but for me it just causes me more to think and speculate what was that yeah yeah like what was that ending and like i start to like theorize and do all this cool stuff yeah because i i just love how he he doesn't explain everything to you right he does he respects the readers enough to draw their own conclusions and he doesn't over explain things which which is funny because i said earlier that i'm I'm a lore guy Mm -hmm. i love having explanations to to things in fiction but at the same time i i just find what ray bradbury did such a breath of fresh air they're like oh he's not going to explain this right he he respects me enough to draw my own conclusions and i i just i just think that's that's so novel like even today like there's there's a tendency even in fantasy to have magic systems you know to systematize yeah. magic i've, I've you know, gone on about magic systems in another in another episode <laughs> where it's like i i just yeah it's like no one is, is willing to just have the magic just be other you know just yeah. some thing that is not that there are no like encyclopedic rules to right. it's like you don't have to explain it because like because then you just get mini chlorines right you know yeah. it's like the, well, what yeah. is the force oh it's an energy field created by all living things great that's all i need to know right oh no didn't you know it's these little microbes in your blood and you have a mini chlorine count and all that yeah. stuff and i'm like no and jedi have a higher mini count than most people that's why they can use the force you know or whatever it's like it's ridiculous right. yeah it's really dumb um yeah <laughs> It's like, don't explain. I don't need, you know, yeah. So I just feel that he, he is very effective and in doing that. And especially the thing you need to know about Ray, about Ray Bradbury is that if you read his stories at face value, you're going to miss something. Mm-hmm. And even me, like in, in a, when I read a lot of his stories the first time, I was like, what was that? You know, I was just totally unsatisfied. But once I started to think about them more, I'm like, Oh, I see what he's doing. He's conveying a metaphor. A lot of his stories are usually not about what they appear to be on the surface. Yeah. They're usually about life or death or grief or other strong emotions, Mm -hmm. growing up, getting old. Once you realize that, it's like a key to all his work. Right. And, you know, you can read his stories in a different light and go, wow, he's actually saying something very interesting. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, Bradbury's great. Um, <laughs> that was 
That was a fun tangent. Um, but yeah, we'll have to. Well, I'll, I'll have to familiarize myself more with him and uh, have you back on to talk about specific stories. Um, but yeah, so um, anything else you want to talk about as far as comics go, uh, Marvel, DC, or the any indie comics that um, you've written about that you wanted to um, talk about an article you you wrote, um, anything like that. Oh, I, I think I would just want to touch on uh, the article I wrote for Voyage Comics um, about my favorite Batman story arc of all time, uh, Batman No Man's Land. Mm-hmm. And that was actually the first uh, comics in trade paperback form that I read when oh, I was cool. a teenager. I, uh, I bought volume one of Batman No Man's Land uh, from Borders when it still existed, uh, the, the bookstore. Oh, board. Borders, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they, they had a comic section, and so I picked yep. up Batman No Man's Land, which is an interesting story because I think it, it went over like a year or two in the comics, and it involved all the Batman characters. And it was a, essentially about Gotham had been destroyed in an earthquake. Mm-hmm. And the federal government uh, decided, you know what? Gotham experiences so many disasters, we don't want to rebuild it. We're not going to spend the money rebuilding the city. So they declare the city a federal no man's land. And they give people, I think, about a month to get out before they cut off the city from the United States. Because Gotham is on an island like Manhattan. Yeah. And so they're just like, we're, we're going to blow all the bridges, mine the river. And if you don't get out, you're stuck there. And so a lot of people, for whatever reason, didn't leave the city. You know, mm-hmm. either they, they didn't have the resources to leave, you know, they, they were poor, you know, they were doggedly determined to stay in their homes. But then also a lot of the criminals were remained. And so what happens is that Batman and a few of the police who remain take back the city from the criminals and supervillains block by block. <laughs> and it's this really epic story. And it has a lot of cool side stories. And one of those side stories involves the Huntress, Mm -hmm. who's a very interesting character because uh, the Huntress, Helena Bertinelli, is a practicing Catholic superhero. And you actually, uh, you you get to meet her confessor over the course of the story, Mm -hmm. who actually knows that she's the Huntress. Yeah, I didn't know that the huntress was catholic i didn't know that when it, before i read your article and is she in, in this story uh is she batman's daughter or no uh no that okay. that is a different version that that's the helena wayne version okay got it okay yeah no th- this uh actually she is the daughter of a mob boss okay who was uh killed in a hit and so she is you know completely rejected that life of crime and tries to help the downtrodden and fight organized crime and stuff. Okay. But in, in this particular story, um, so a lot of uh, the Catholic priests have also remained in the city. Mm-hmm. And they've set up a mission for the homeless. And uh, this mission is infiltrated by the Scarecrow. And he starts to create a kind of grand social experiment where he tries to pit the different groups of refugees against each other based on religion or socioeconomic status or something like that. He, he contrives things so that, um, the mission ends up, you know, becoming infiltrated by more criminals. And what's fascinating about that story is that towards the end, when the situation is diffused, 
it's revealed that the scarecrow was kind of behind all of this. Mm-hmm. And in essentially a lynch mob forms to kill the scarecrow. And the huntress diffuses the situation by essentially telling the people, urging them to forgive him for what he's done. Yeah. She's like, look, th- this guy is really pathetic. He doesn't know love. He He's never experienced anything like companionship or compassion in his life. You know, he's used fear to turn you against each other, you know, Mm -hmm. but don't essentially, if you kill him now, you'd be doing exactly what he wants you to do. Yeah. And so the people actually end up forgiving the scarecrow. Some of the, the religious members of the crowd tell him that he should seek repentance that Jesus will save him. Mm-hmm. You know, and that God loves him. The scarecrow flips out because he doesn't want any of this. Yeah. He, he completely rejects the forgiveness of these people. In fact, it drives him a little bit crazy. Yeah, that his social experiment has ended in the people offering him forgiveness. He even starts to lose his sense of identity as the scarecrow. Oh, no. But I just, <laughs> I just thought that 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 story. A lot of a lot of the, uh, the stories I like to explore in my nonfiction writing are stories about nonviolent conflict resolution. Yeah. About forgiveness, about compassion, about uh, enemy love, you know, yeah. to, you know, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And yeah, and that story, that side story, by the way, is called fear of faith. I think it's three issues long. Okay. And it's, it's part of the greater Batman, no man's land. That's, story arc. That's really but cool. Yeah. That, um, I had always, I never really pictured the Huntress as a nonviolent character, I guess. <laughs> She's not, but in that, in that yeah. situation, she is. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I did not know she was Catholic. That's also interesting until I read your article. Um, but with a name like uh, Bertinelli, yeah, she's Italian, so probably. Yeah. Right. You'll also notice that, that the Huntress often wears a cross around her neck, even when in costume. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, I didn't notice that. I think there's a picture at the top here. I'm looking at it now. Um, I, I don't see it. Her hair's in the way. Um, but, oh, cool. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed that article. I had not read No Man's Land, but uh, I might have to now. Um yeah. It's about four or five volumes long in trade paperback. Yeah, I know. It's pretty long. Um, cool. Uh, so, any final thoughts? Um, just that I'm, I'm, I'm not giving up on comics yet. That's what I'll say. <laughs> we, 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 we've dumped a lot on modern day comics today, but I think my right, my work over the last two years has shown that there's still some, some interesting little tidbits yeah. that we can glean, you know, these seeds of the gospel, you know. And I, I, I think that it's wrong for, I mean, that there's a temptation to kind of just reject everything that is put out by the culture. Mm-hmm. I, I know it, it's fashionable to say that, like, oh, the, the MCU is trash and it's it's just garbage. I, 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 I recently that. heard someone say that, like, the, the MCU is throwaway culture. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, what do you mean by that? But in any case, like, I, I think it's more fruitful to have a dialogue comic book culture because because of the MCU, comic books are, are more in the public consciousness now 
than they've ever been. He, even if, oh, yeah. if the sales of the actual books are down, right? these characters are more in the public consciousness than they've ever been. And I think it's more fruitful for those of us who work in evangelization or who work in apologetics or spreading the faith that to, to dialogue with the popular culture, to not just dump on things people like, to say, oh, yeah, no, there's, there's actually something there that's interesting. Yeah. You know, like I said, use it as a non-threatening way to begin these discussions with people. And, you know, I, I wouldn't write about this stuff if, if I wasn't a fan of it. Right. You know, and I think that's if part I weren't of the fan too. of these characters, you know. You kind of have to be, you, you have to like it already, you know, in order to use, in order to engage with it and use it for apologetics. Uh, you you kind of have to be a fan of it already. You know, you can't, yes. you can't just, you know, oh, I'm going to pick up this Batman comic and then I'm going to, you know, talk about, you know, how it's a seed of the faith or whatever, you know, if you've never even touched Batman before. Um, and so I forget what saint it was. Um, what was his name? He... He said, you need to love what they love, you know, if you're going to, um, if you're going to, you know, try to reach people with the gospel, um, you need to love what they love. So I think it, I can't remember his name now. Um, but he like played, he like started this boarding school for boys and he'd play soccer with them, you know, and he like, he did magic tricks and stuff like that. Oh, was it uh, John Bosco? Thank you. John Bosco. Yeah. It was St. Yeah. John Bosco. Um, you need to love what they love. Right. So you have to love these comics, not all of them, obviously we dumped on a lot of the modern ones and there's a lot of problems with the storytelling. Um, but like some of those, you know, it's funny because a lot of the older comic book lovers will tell you the same thing. They don't like the newer stories either, you know, and they might right. not be Christian at all. Like I remember talking to one guy at half price books. Uh, he worked there and, um, I was, you know, getting rid of a bunch of comics that I, you know, some of the newer ones are just ones I didn't want to have anymore. And, um, um, he gave me the price back of what he'll take for them. And I'm like, this isn't hardly anything, you know, but when I, 10 years ago when I brought some, you know, I got a bunch of money for it. And he's like, oh yeah, they don't sell as much now. Now that Disney bought, you know, Marvel, and nobody wants to read them anymore. <laughs> and this is just an employee. He was an older guy. He was just the employee at half price books. And even, but even like those older, you know, the older generation of people who might not even be Christians um, or conservative in, in any stretch, they, they say the same thing. Right. So, there's some, there is some common ground even among the older generation of people um, that, yeah, these some of these stories have lost the plot, you know? <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, but they do, you need to love what they love, you know, if you're going to use these stories that way. And I think um, you have to love them for what they are in, in a lot of these cases. So if you think superheroes are dumb, if you think they're, you think the Marvel movies are a waste of time, then, you know, fine. You don't, you know, you're not going to use that then to right. you know, reach people. <laughs> You know, that's fine. You don't have yeah. to love them. That's, I think they're fun, but um, they're not high art. They're not like, you know, Bach or whatever. They're not um, right. Martin Scorsese films. <laughs> so, um, but it's fine. You need high and low art to, you know, to have a, a full, um, an enriched palette, I guess. I don't know. I'm kind of rambling now. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that like, you know, with comic books especially, you know, when, when they focus on good art, when they focus on good, on solid storytelling, on building characters that you can get behind, they're successful. Mm -hmm. You know, like uh, get, getting back to Ray Bradbury for a second, he, he says in uh, Electric Gaben in 2001, 
I don't write stories to benefit the world. Mm-hmm. If they do benefit the world, great. But that's not what I set out to do. Whereas a lot of these modern writers are writing stories to quote unquote benefit the world. They're yeah. trying to push an agenda or a message or whatever it is. But a good story and solid characters need to come first mm-hmm. before you can even think of putting in all that subtext. Right. You know, and then yeah. that goes for, for any kind of literature, really, not just comic books mm-hmm. and, you know, any kind of, you know, narrative art, whether it's novels or movies or, or what comic books, what have you, like, you know, the story and characters need to come first. And like I said, I found that the most fun I've had in comics in recent years are just these kind of, that just focus on being fun and telling you know, amazing stories about characters that you that you love and you can get behind. Yeah. And I, I think there needs to be more of that. And hopefully we'll start to see more of that um, as the indie scene grows. Yeah. But I, I, I guess my final message is that yeah, I'm, I'm still hopeful. You know, I'm not currently buying new DC and Marvel stuff right now. But, you know, I'm hopeful that, you know, the industry may start to turn around eventually. But, you know, <laughs> or they'll go out of business and be replaced by a, a thousand small comic book companies. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which, but I, I, yeah. I, I think the culture needs to shift first. Yeah. Yeah. Because like we said, it's kind of a feedback. Right. So, yeah, that's, a, that's I think that's a good note to end on. Um, yes. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, thank you, Thomas, for coming on my show. This was a lot of fun. Thank you, Aaron. It, it's been a blast. As you can tell, I, I can talk about this stuff ad nauseum so (laughs) but i've just had a lot of fun great great well yeah we'll have to have you on to talk about ray bradbury some more i want to talk um i gotta read more of his stuff i got a long a big huge pile of his books but i got other a lot of other books to get through (laughs) oh yeah i i I know what you mean my my night stand here is is groaning under the huge pile of books on it yeah that's a common problem (laughs) (laughs) all right well thanks for thanks for coming on man it's been fun Thank you so much, Aaron. Hey, everybody. Um, This is Aaron. I uh, did it again. I forgot to ask the guest if they believed in fairies or not. Um, So I sent a message to Thomas uh, sometime after the interview. I asked him the question, and this is what he said. Do I believe in fairies? It's an interesting question. On the one hand, my scientific background urges me to be skeptical of such a notion. But on the other hand, I can't entirely rule out the possibility. I've learned that every time we think we understand the universe and its creatures, some new discovery upends our neat little paradigms. I'm in firm agreement with Shakespeare in such matters. There are more things in heaven and earth that are dreamt of in your philosophy. We know that God has created a vast multitude of physical creatures just on this one planet. It's entirely possible that God also created an unguessable variety of spiritual creatures apart from the angels, who may sometimes interact with humans. In addition, if higher dimensions or alternate universes exist, we have no idea what visitors from such realities would be like. Perhaps people earlier in history called them fairies. It's a fascinating thing to ponder. In conclusion, I'd love to believe in fairies, but I remain an agnostic on this question. Perhaps the final answer only awaits future discoveries. Thank you for listening to this episode of I Might Believe in Fairies. Please leave a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Please follow me on Twitter at Aaron Erber and like me on Facebook. If you're excited to see where the podcast is going and want to offer some support for the project, you can find me on Patreon. Music is by Alexander Nakarada, 
and podcast art was designed by my wonderful sister-in-law, Linnea Kisby. Until next time, talk to you soon.